if something is amazing and impressive, but it's so difficult to pull off, it's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. Welcome to Let's Get Practical. Today we have Felipe Nardi, founder of Inside the Show, a program that helps you create awesome life, virtual interactive experiences. He's now based in Brazil. He has engineer magic effects for professional magicians, but he's also a designer, a programmer, a teacher, and an amazing human being. So excited to have Felipe in our podcast. How are you today? Hello, Monica. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm great. Awesome. I found it super intriguing, your experience in magic. So I wanted to start with how did you get involved in the magic scene and what was your role? Yeah, that was a, a very interesting journey because fast forward today, I'm collaborating with one of the biggest magicians in the world and I'm not a magician myself. So the way it happened, I think for me, started my childhood when I was just passionate about magic. My aunt had done a card trick that really striked me. Do you remember what her magic trick was? Could you share? Yeah, of course. I really liked my aunt and every time she arrived at my home, I wanted to hug her. But this one time when she arrived at my home, she told me to wait, choose a card, any card. And she just offered me the deck. And then I picked a card and then she tried to get my card. Say, is this one? And I said, no. Is this other one? No. And she kept trying and get it wrong all the time. And then she gave up and said, okay, I gave up. And then she turned it around. When she turned it around, there was a huge card in her back. That was a, exactly the card that I had chosen. And since then I was really into doing magic and learning about magic, but this was just a hobby and I never pursued it professionally. I, I almost never performed with other people. It was just like a hobby for myself. But then with the pandemic, I saw a magic trick that was impossible for me. As an engineer, as a programmer, as a designer, what they promised it on the magic trick was like impossible. So I, w I got so angry about it. Like, how can it work that I decided to buy? And it was a professional magic trick. I cannot talk too much about what it was because that's a little bit revealing, but it was a very expensive trick. It was for, for, for professionals. But I decided to buy because I was just dying inside. And when I got inside and I learned how it worked, I thought, wow, actually I can make it better. And I started collaborating with the magicians in the group, collaborating to improve this trick. And then I became very famous inside this community of magicians. And that's how I, I ended up. Well, one day I was watching a YouTube video of Dan White, a very known magician, has been to Jamie Fallon dozens of times and has a show in New York. And I was watching this Jimmy Fallon replay and I thought, wow, that would be so cool working with this guy. And then I just messaged him on Facebook. And I think it, because it was pandemic, he responded to me very quickly and we actually were able to talk because People were kind of looking off new opportunities, things to do, and the communication became global. So I think this helped a lot. That's why I, how I got involved in this magical world. 
And I can totally relate to that where you find something interesting and you just become curious, you start digging. I contact people out of nowhere and I'm always surprised at how open they are to talking to you. Yeah, they had a community of 3,000 magicians to wow. support any the use of this trick. And that's when I, where I started collaborating with people that were using it professionally because they were had a great thing in my in their hands, but they were using it very poorly. So because I know technology, I don't know performing very well, but I know a lot of technology. So I could help them use all their performance skills at their best with fine tuning how they were using the technology. Okay, I'm sure lots happened before. Take us back to I don't know. Is it like when you say programming? What kind of programming did you learn? What kind of things did you create? So it started with actually me trying to convince my mom to let me play online games. There was this game called Tibia, and it was one of the first MMORPGs, very simple graphics, online, multiplayer. And I was playing this all day, and my mom would tell me to go outside and play with the other kids and would block me from using the computer all the time. But then I created a website of this game. It started to get page views and it had information about the game, how to do certain things or things to support, like a Wikipedia to support the players. And one day I received a check from Google of $100. So I said to my mom, look, I'm working to uh... go play with these kids again. <laughs> but. When you say, I just created a website, like how old were you at this point? Do kids your age, like how did you know how to make websites? And I don't know how to make websites even today. I think I learned how to make websites when I was 10. I asked my mom to, to buy a course for me and I did an in-person course with these other 40 years old guy and <laughs> me and 10. him. Yeah, and I was 10. And we were doing, learning how to do websites. And I think I had this site when I was 11 to 12. Yeah. And that's when I received my first check from Google. Oh my God. This is, that's so interesting, Philippe. And like, where do you think that comes from? Not every kid, I don't know about like your friends, but not every kid at 10 is asking his mom to buy them a course to go take a course to learn how to make websites with other 40 year olds. Yeah, I think it ties very much with my magic background because magic is about doing something that is impressive. And I always love it to do things that impress other people. So I think making websites was impressive. So I wanted to do websites. I think magic is about surprising people. And that's what I think I ended up doing, uh, wanting to do when I became a designer. I wanted to create these magical moments for people, design magical moments for them. And this was what made me become an engineer as well. I didn't want to become an engineer because I thought that the people that are creative, they are the designers because they think of how things are going to work. So they are the creative people. If I become an engineer, I will just do programming and I will program things that people tell me to do. But I was slowly starting to programming my own things because the programmers that were working with me didn't want to or didn't know how to do it. So I decided to learn myself. And then I discovered that when you know how the pieces of the puzzle is put together, 
then you can really create things. So I think this is, when I was in the pandemic collaborating with all these magicians, I almost decided to create a course on helping them with performing tricks that use it technology. But then people started doing virtual shows and I, I saw these virtual shows and I said, oh my God, these are so terrible because they are so amazing. They are so creative and they're so talented, but it just looked like a meeting and it doesn't connect with people. You cannot do magic this way. So I got really anxious about all of this. And that's when I decided to combine all this background with the magic background, the, the designer and the developer, yeah, the designer and the engineer to help them use the technology online to create fantastic experiences for their shows. Oh my God. I need to watch some of them. Yeah. So it's very interesting because if it were just visual things, you could watch a YouTube video, but the place where the virtual match becomes really powerful is when people are doing mentalism. Mentalism is a kind of magic. And if I call it magic, some people are going to be angry about that, but it kind of is. And it's basically being able to read people's minds. So it's very impressive. Imagine you are sitting at your home and the magician comes and says, so there is a shelf in behind you to go take a book, open in any page and choose the first word. Mm -hmm. Now close it. And then he can, he goes ahead and reveal the word that you have oh, placed. Wow. It. Oh my God. Are those shows still being played now after the pandemic? Yeah, there are. Most of them are for corporate. So they are hired by companies to, to do these corporate events. But there is one that is still going on right now. That is the Dan White show, The Magician Online. I can watch that in the living room of my house. Yes, yes. <sighs> Okay, I'm gonna get details of that because I want to. I they definitely want. They send you want... a box. They send oh, you a box wow. at home, and it, it's interactive. You do things, and things happen on your side as well. So it's pretty cool. This is amazing. I love what you said. Magic is about impressing people, and magic is about surprising people. And I've been in so many zooms, but. Out of all the Zooms that we go to or this virtual meeting, some are better than others, right? Some are definitely, oh, wow, like I was not looking at my phone the whole time. And how was that transition from like magic to this Zoom world or virtual presentation world? Yeah, it was kind of natural because people started seeing what we were doing with magic shows and they said, that's exactly what I need in my training program. That's exactly what I need in my workshops. That's what, exactly what I need in my sales meetings. And actually the magicians, they are at a really high level of what they need to do in terms of interactivity. And what people really need is like half or less than the magicians are doing. It already takes them to an incredible place. And then did you people like, how did you know? I don't know anybody who watches magic. To be honest, like nobody that I know knows about these virtual magic shows, but you're saying that people were watching this and they were, were they approaching you? Can you help me with this? Cause you seem to be very behind the scenes with these magicians and their shows. Yeah. I think people, the magicians that were performing to cooperate programs, people asked them how you're doing it. 
you have a whole team behind you? No, it's just me. And they wanted to know more about that. And also the content that I was putting out there, even though it was very towards magic at the moment, people from other areas just started joining the program. Okay, don't mind. You're saying it's for magician. I'm going to use it some, to oh, something wow. else. So you were teaching. I, yeah, go ahead. No, and then I just become very focused on the training program, workshops and group coaching now. Is this a side job? Do you have a full-time job? Is this maybe you do this as a hobby and then you're working for Microsoft? I don't know. What is your, when you say, you know, programming and like my technicians, did you have a full-time job? What was your situation? Yes, I had a full-time job at a company called Vitex. This is a global e-commerce platform. And I was leading a group of engineers there. And I was working on Inside a Show, which is the name of the program for a year and it went so well that I decided, you know what, I'm going to try it. And then oh. I quit my job and I, I'm dedicated all to inside the show. Now it's been three years now. Wow. And what was the original vision that you had with inside the show when you first started? The original vision was to help people create magic shows. And this shifted to help people create virtual experiences for their audiences. When did that shift happen or like that little twist or like maybe, yeah, a turning point? I think it was, it was slowly. The way that Inside Show works is that we open for enrollments from time to time. So two or three times per year. So we are in our eight, eight edition number eight right now, going to open in the next month. We slowly transitioned the communication from this is for performers to this is for performers and presenters. And now I'm very focused on just talking about presenters. I have a upcoming masterclass, a free masterclass, which is an event that I do to help people get started with their virtual experiences. And I'm going to open the program just after that. The masterclass is going to be on September 12th in the week of September 12th to September 18th. And this is a full hands-on week where I'm going to be doing live master classes and people, even if they can't attend live, there will be a lot of activities, but they're going to be able to follow along. And just by following along this week, it's, it has been transformational for everyone that does it. I really hope I can make it this time. It's such a delight to be part of it because I've taken a lot of classes about presentations, but you definitely add an extra big chunk of flavor and I don't know, frosting or to the cake or something very new and unique about the way you teach that I think more people hopefully can get access to. What did you learn about, I don't know, like the main challenges people have or their mistakes? Yeah. I think I was recently helping out Beauty a Second Brain with their new cohort. And I was helping Monica to host this session. And every week they were having a new presenter. So one day, one of the presenters that arrived, they were so focused on the content that they forgot about, forgot about the presentation, how you share a screen, how, what do you look? at how is this working how i control things i'm not seeing anything more on my screen i'm lost so the fact of you presenting and having your slides and don't know how to 
it's going to work in the real world. It's, it's very common. People are so focused on the content that they forget about the delivery and their experience when they are delivering and the experience of the audience when they are delivering. So I think that the most common mistake that I see is not thinking about the delivery as much as you think about the content. I will make that mistake over and over because I still want the content to be great. I'll spend a lot of time on the slides and I want to impress people with my beautiful slice. How can you shift that mind? Like, how can you tell people or like really deeply make them understand you need to remember delivery? Because I think I will still keep focusing on the content and I don't know how I can get immediate feedback of why I need to focus on delivery. Yeah, and th this makes total sense because actually we have no good way to, to test our delivery because the best we can do is talk to ourselves in front of the mirror or the camera, but this is not actually what you're going to have when you are live at the moment sharing your slides, what, how your screens are going to be positioned. Because if you cannot find your notes, if you don't know what is happening, if you don't know if people are seeing your slides or if you're uncomfortable in any way, then you're not going to be your best. So this was a struggle for us because just for a simple thing like sharing the slides, it can be a big trouble. Imagine something like a session where you are inviting multiple people to talk and you have guests and you want to do audience interaction and want to bring people from the audience to talk with you. Most people just go with luck. I think I'm going to figure out my way through when this happens because there is no other way to do it. And there is no good way to do it. I had to build a way for it. And on Inside the Show, I created what we call the Zoom Simulator, which is a 24 hours call that have 25 bots. It's like participants and you can see their cameras, but they, these are video replays. So it's like a call with 25 people open 24 hours. So whenever you want, the members can join the Zoom Simulator and they can practice just like they have a live real audience. And we can also send the audience, these fake audience to their own Zoom link so they can practice in private. So this is what we do to practice. And during the masterclass, one of the things that I do every time that I do the masterclass is that I open the Zoom simulator during this week for people to be able to practice because I want to teach them and I want them to have all the support they need to see that this is working, to get the confidence. So one of the things that I do is that I open the simulator for people to join and experiment it as well. I can't believe nobody thought of this before because I think you could solve so many problems. I've seen so many people just get stuck when they're presenting and they usually get stuck on the not important things. Oh, where did, can you see me? Like, where did this go? And then people share the wrong screen or they cannot find the share screen button and, or like the different views of Zoom. So maybe they're like in gallery mode or, and those things could be easily solved with a simulator. And I think for, I cannot believe why Zoom themselves never created something like this? It's because mostly it focuses on meetings. So meetings, you just need to get the job done. You need to share your screen. You need to do a whiteboard. You need to speak. So you have a button to click and share your screen. Just figure your way out. You can have a button to mute yourself. Just figure your way out. But, and you can do this. But on a virtual presentation, it's like what you said. There is a lot of little frictions. Oh, let me share this. Oh, hello, John. Oh, John, you're muted. Just unmute yourself. Oh, you can find the mute button. And all these little frictions, people are kind of used to that because this is 
the day-to-day -day of Zoom meetings. But when you remove this friction and you create, you really create a magical experience for people when you remove this friction and everything just works seamless. Yeah, and I've been in those presentations and I know Tiago Forte and probably I took his classes before you got involved, but it is still very smooth, right? And even I notice because I'm very sensitive to those things, but maybe a lot of, like you said, people are used to friction. <laughs> they don't mind when like, people are like, oh, okay, you need to mute yourself or they hear background noise. I had a question for you. So like many times, even in my experience, when things go too smooth, people don't know the alternative. So they forget how bad it could have been. In your case, when you're giving presentations and they go really smoothly, does the audience know the difference? Does it not with fashion shows? There's so many things that we hide and there's so many things that are really smooth because we did so much work. But I really think the guests have no clue. The guests don't know that this is very perfect. So I was wondering in your case, like the audience, does the audience appreciate less friction or they take things for granted? That's a very interesting thing because I also, I can relate to what you're saying. Like when things are perfect, you don't note the mistakes, but when there is a problem, that's when you note it. And I think with Zoom, it's kind of the opposite because it's usually so bad that the default is being bad. So when it's bad, people just think it's okay. It's, <laughs> that's, it's okay. That's, I'm not going to notice anything because I'm used to it being bad. And, but when you create something that is super smooth and very different, then they, I think they shift their attention entirely. And people, one of the things that people tell me is that when they finish doing a presentation, a workshop, People are not only asking then about the topic, but they are asking, how are you doing this? What are you doing? How is this working? So they are, I think this really shifts their attention way more into uh, your content. Yeah. The, I love the button that you introduced on Instagram. I think it's like a little, maybe like a two click button, or maybe it has three clicks and it really feels mm -hmm. like magic. I'm definitely going to give it a try, but. There are probably lots of things that you have on your menu, things to try in virtual presentations, but in your experience, what are like the top three things that can really elevate a presentation? If you had to choose out of everything, like the top three that will give the best results or the most difference. I think number one is stop using screen share for slideshows. This is one of the biggest things that get people bored because when you have prepared your slides and you, most people they are doing workshop and training sessions, they are investing in their camera, in their sets, they are designing a beautiful place to teach. And then when they share the screen, they are a little tiny, very tiny in the corner of the screen and you can barely see them. And you just see this slide all the time for the whole hour. So it's very difficult to connect with the presenters. It's difficult for you as well, because when you are presenting and you are sharing your screen, you cannot see the audience. The gallery mm -hmm. view changes and you cannot see the audience. So you're literally talking to no one. So it's a disconnection both ways. You 
are not connected to the audience and the audience is not connected with you because they can barely see you. So for screen share, what I really prefer is using, using a broadcast software to integrate these slides into your camera. And the broadcast software that I use is called OBS Studio. I know that when I say broadcast software, it sounds like something really complicated. Scary, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was scary for me when I first saw it, but literally it's very simple. And for anyone willing to try the Virtual Audiences Masterclass that I'm hosting is the place to, to be because you're going to see how easy it is and how quickly you can get at a level that no one in the industry is doing. I think integrating these slides with your camera is really good because you can have the slides next to you, but at the right size that you want, and you can have it go away when you don't want it anymore. And if you're using a flick button to control a little remote controller, you can make the slides appear and disappear while you are talking. And it just oh my feel like magic. <laughs> that, that got me so excited about your masterclass and your course that I'm definitely going to take. Besides this, and it's all about control. It sounds it's controlling what people see, how you see yourself and with very little effort besides using this broadcaster, what's another okay. tip or tool or mindset, maybe shift, don't do this or yeah. Let me think about two more then. I think control is the next one. One, one of the things people tell a lot is I need someone to be running the tech for me so I, be, I can be focused on the content. A lot of people that come to me, they will can I they will say, Can I train someone to do that for me? Can I have someone controlling all the tech? I don't want to worry about that. And when they see how simple it can be to control an experience, mm -hmm. to get everything seamlessly and streamlined for them to conduct the experience, I think it's a, this is a mindset shift that happens with them because then they understand that the key to connect with an of with a live audience is you being able to interact freely. So if you are in a room with a group of people, you can walk around, you can touch their shoulder, you can look at their eyes, you can communicate verbally and especially very strongly. You can do a lot of things that doesn't involve in you speaking, but communicates a lot. And when you are live, online, you don't have the same thing. You don't have this way of walking in the room, but you should be able to decide to bring someone to the screen when you want to. For example, I, I was doing this last masterclass where I had an example from Matilde from Circle. She's the community manager at Circle, the community platform. And I was doing an example, showing an example from her. I didn't know that she was going to join, but she did. The moment I saw her comment uh, coming up on the screen, I was able to bring this comment on the screen and, and I was just integrating what was happening. So look, we are going to see an example from Matilde today. Hey, Matilde, Matilde is here with us. So it's not just a lecture, but it's like I'm, the audience is transforming my content in the experiences that is happening. And I will say that the third is a little secret that I have because I tell people, you don't need assistance for tech, but you can have assistance for content. And this is because people are so focused on having assistance for the tech, they don't even contemplate the idea of having assistance for content. For example, at the same day where Mathieu joined the call, the chat was 
going crazy and a lot of people were touching. I cannot possibly pay attention to what I'm saying and at the same time be reading the chat. But I have an assistant that is watching the presentation as a participant and he's looking at the chat. When he saw that Matilda has entered, he sent me a message on a little screen that I have in front of me where he can communicate back and forth with me. So he sent a message, Matilda is on the call. And I quickly looked for her message and brought it on screen. So he, I have to, he can let me know when someone have raised their hand and I have notes, for example, if for any reason my microphone stopped, stopped working and he can tell me there is a problem. It's someone that is watching as a participant and looking for opportunities of interaction. So just, it just looks like I am on top of the chat. I'm on top of all these interactions because all the great opportunities to interact with the audience, I'm able to take them because I have someone helping me with the content. He can also kill chat messages for me. So the chat messages that I show on screen, he can pre-select them. So I don't have to look at the entire chat. So that's my and, three, wow. my three tips. That's, those are like awesome tips, Felipe. And I have a question. So when you say you can, I can, and I've seen you do that on, on Instagram, when you say you can show a chat question on the screen, is that also through your software? Like the Zoom, I don't know, not the Zoom this similar, is, totally different, or is part of OBS? This is an OBS extension that you can connect with any platform like YouTube, Facebook, and it works with Zoom as well. Oh, wow. OBS it's called is the like, social, it's really powerful. Social media, media ninja, something like that. Okay, wow. And then when you say I have this screen with my assistant, this is like a separate additional monitor. Yeah, I use it. I have it as my iPad, but it can be the same thing can run on the computer as a browser window. And this is a stage timer. This is one of the greatest software for presenters. It's simple because it's just a timer that shows you how much time you have left before it can show you how much time is left for the session to start. And then it can count down how many minutes the session has gone. And if you have someone else in another place, they can send you messages for this timer. That's also how you communicate with your assistant or help? Yeah. So we, the first time that I started using this, I had a problem because he would tell me something and I didn't want to do it. He would tell me to, there was a chat message that I needed to answer. I looked at it and I thought, I, I don't want to answer this. This is going to break the flow, but I can only see, read the message that he's showing. So I had no way to tell him that, no, I don't want to do this. So remove this message from the screen. This is throwing me off. So it was very, wasn't very helpful. So I come up with a way to use the stream deck to communicate with him. So I have a stream deck that has emojis. It's a little control panel with buttons that you can configure to do anything. And I have configured to send emojis, a okay emoji and a bad thumbs down emoji. Wow. If I press this button, so it's an emoji he receives on the button. telegram. So that, oh my God. So like you're using one stream deck button just to do an emoji. Just to send an emoji on Telegram. Wow. On and Telegram. And he sends me a message there uh, on Telegram to the, to my assistant. So he will say, this person has a great question. I will send an okay. 
and he will remove the question, the message from the screen because he know I got it. How do you come up with all of these ideas or ways to do? Yeah, if somebody maybe not for presentations, but where? How do you find in your mind like how to do this or how to learn this or what's going through your brain? Okay, we had this problem on the iPad. I had this question. There was no way for me to communicate what to do. So that's a problem. And how? What are the steps until you come up with? Okay, let's put the emoji on the stream deck. What happens in between? I think I, I get blocked at trying. I have a curse, which is I'm both a designer and a developer, and they are different than each other because the designer wants to think super creatively and is not worrying about how things can be done, and the engineer, he wants to get be practical and just want to get things working, even though it might not be the best experience possible. So I'm trying to make things work in the best way possible with the best experience possible. And sometimes like it just gets me blocked because I cannot move in end. But so I'm always trying to think about simple things, how to solve problems in the most simple way. And solving problems in the most simple way is always the most complicated thing to do. But I mean, the, what you did now is the outcome is very simple, but I'm sure maybe you've tried different things, but yeah. And I love finding that in other people. I love finding also very simple solutions that maybe nobody thought of before, but it, it just works. <laughs> it works and it works great. Very little room for error. And I find that really helpful. So those three tips, Felipe, are awesome. And I love also having mind frames like, what are some of your maybe general principles that other people could apply to design their presentations? Like I think flow to me is also very important. What are for you? Yeah. I think uh, another thing is because of flow, don't do things just because it's cool, but because it's easy. It, if something is amazing and impressive, but it's so difficult to pull off, it's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. So you can't imagine the number of ideas that I have been trying that I've, I'm, for me, it's too, it's, this is too complicated to see the light of the world right now. So I just keep them, close it. So I think that's the number one tip that I, I would say, try to make things as simple as possible, knowing that making things simple is complicated. Yeah, simple. And I, I, again, I do think flow is very important. And anything and everything can break flow, but what are some mm -hmm. of the common things that in your opinion, break the flow of a presentation and should be maybe like, I don't know, prevented or carefully designed? Yeah, the, I, th I think it's difficult to avoid breaking the flow because you don't know, the flow breaks when something unexpected happened. So you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what's going to happen. This presenter on Building Second Brand didn't know that this was not going to be straightforward to share the, their slides. So I would say that practice is the number one thing that we value here on Inside the Show. And this is this ties back to the Zoom Simulator. I think a lot of members stay. You, you can you join the Zoom Simulator members all day, and this becomes kind of like a discussion hub for some as well because people are always practicing and testing their interaction with a fake audience. So when you go live, 
it's natural. Breaks in the flow can happen, but to get flow, I would say you have to remove the most unexpected things because it's usually the simple things that's going to throw you off. It's not the complicated things. It's the simple things. For example, I have uh, done some silly mistakes like switching my microphone on a Zoom presentation and uh, it was picking up from the from my MacBook's microphone instead of my desk microphone. And I didn't know what was happening. I was checking all the cables, all this connection, and I just select the wrong microphone on Zoom. So it's the little things that gets in the way usually. So the more you practice, the more you give yourself time to get prepared as well, the less room for little silly mistakes there are. And the silly mistakes are what can really break your flowing confidence. Totally agree. It's usually the small things and like the, yes, always almost is the small things that you did not check before. It's just like the small thing, if you have it come up like five minutes before the show, it's like, it's all good. It's the, the timing of the small things happening. When you were saying, oh, I'm going to work with the building a second brand. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because I think they're such a great team. I love their work. I love their vision. And, and I think a lot of creators look up to them, right? How they do things. How did that opportunity come about? Did you know them beforehand? Did you just message them on Facebook like you <laughs> did with the magician? Yeah, yeah. How did that opportunity come about? There is something funny about this connection that I made with the magicians that I repeated with Thiago Forte. I didn't tell you, but when I first contacted Dan White, he was more or less responding to me. He was not, who's this guy? He's not, not giving me a lot of attention. But then I got it as far as he presented me another magician, which is very famous as well, Justin Willman. Justin Willman is on Netflix. He has four or five shows on Netflix. And I connected with Justin Wilman and said, hey, I'm working with Dan and I'm helping him improve his, and at this time, the effects. I was not quite yet there with Dan, but that's where I was heading to. And then he got jealous of this connection because there is a, some thing going on in magicians that they want to be better than, than each other. <laughs> and then there was a third one, the calling cloud that got into the mix. And I just said, hey, I'm working with Dan White and Justin Wilman. And then I got his attention immediately. But from there, I had to do something that actually was worth their attention. Because getting their attention was kind of risky doing this way. But after that, the things that I was doing really interested them. So we worked it out. For Tiago, I joined his cohort on, on cohort number 10. I don't know if that's 2020, 2021, maybe. And I tried to connect with him. At the time, I was working very much with magicians. And, but I saw how much what we were doing could connect with workshops and training. He has something that he does and they still do on their sessions is that when in the first session, you will be on a Zoom call with 300 people, 400, sometimes 500 people. And he will say, so I want you guys now to go to the gallery view and look at your faces. You are now here, the biggest community in personal knowledge managing the world. And just crawl through these pages and see how many different peoples there are here that are here with you with the same goal. So this just creates this feeling of, wow, I'm, I belong to this group. But then people didn't know how to go back to speaker view and stage on gallery view. <laughs> a lot of people. 
<laughs> and if I don't know, he's asking people to switch to Gallery View. This is not going to work with 500, 500 people in the call. So I, at the time, this motivated me into creating one of the scenes that we have inside the show, which is we show the, the audience around us. So you as a performer, you shrink down a little bit and the cameras start popping around you. So you can show the audience on your screen with you in a seamless way. You press a button and the audience is there with you and you can scroll through the galleries and show the different audience members because then you are controlling the experience. Mm -hmm. And I tried to contact them at the time, but they didn't respond to me. I wasn't, I didn't have their attention. I imagine, you imagine that how big they are and how many messages they received. So it was not something that got in their radar. But recently I, I did a tweet and I'm, I, I added that at Tia Ford Labs for Tiago. And I said, Hey, the, with this gallery, three years later, and I said, this is what I think the bad session should be like. And he answered, oh, cool. How can we do that? And then I started talking with him. Wow. I love those stories. Cause like, I have so many of those stories too. And it's, uh, why do you think, why do you think it clicked with that and not before? What were you not maybe doing before? Why do you think you got their attention that time? I think I was, I didn't talk to Thiago. I didn't talk to Thiago. I talked to other people. I tried, I thought that I, I had to talk with other people, the moderators, and because they were going to be more accessible and ask them to show this to Thiago and try to climb my way up in communication, but it didn't work. And I thought it was just not interesting to them. Maybe if I had done that at the time, maybe it could have worked at the time if I had tweeted Tiago at the time. It's, it's, and maybe not. I think it's the, there's a magic of timing and when somebody's a little more open to things or, but when I saw the connection, maybe you mentioned, oh, I'm going to work with oh, building a second brain. I was like, oh, it is a perfect match, like a perfect. And how was their... I haven't seen their later cohorts after you got involved, but how did that change after? Was there like, how was the feedback or after you, you made suggestions and trained their team? So the, they had a really professional sessions for the cohorts. They had an entrance with building a second brain with a timer and music. And when they were going to start, it automatically, Monica would press a button and the logo would fade away and the music would fade down automatically and she would start introducing the guests. And one thing that she was very anxious about as well was the spotlighting thing because Monica was going to be presenting, but there, each week there was going to be a different speaker. And just having to go to participants list, click on add spotlight, which is close to remove it, which can kick them out of the call. And there's so many different options there. And you have to be like, oh, okay, so let's call now this person, wait a second. Mm -hmm. These are the frictions. One of the things that she did was set up her stream deck in a way that she has a button with the speaker name. So she can press this button and the speaker comes into stage with her. That's it's the emoji button. I love this kind of workarounds. You feel the friction and instead of going head on, you're trying to find other ways on the side to, to make it easier for you. So I think that's great. Something that I want to ask you 
Felipe was, you seem to be very like, I want to learn this. I want to solve this. Super curious, but also very active about your learning. I know you are getting involved more in the, in that space of presenters like Tiago Forte. What are some other influencers or maybe industries that you see the connection? I think I could contribute and it would make a big difference. Two people come to my mind right now. One is ultra speaking. Do you I love ultra speaking. speaking? Yeah. Have you done ultra speaking? Yeah. It's one of my favorite classes. Yeah. I Have did you done ultra too, speaking too? It was amazing. Yeah, I did. <gasps> when? Oh, it was three years ago. I think they, they are so amazing because basically for anyone that doesn't know about ultra speaking, it's a program that helps you speak more naturally without teaching you how to speak. They assume that you already know how to speak. You speak with friends, you speak with family and you don't have a problem, but put you in a stage and then you cannot speak anymore. So what they do, they put you in the most awkward situations possible on Zoom where you have to see random words popping up on the screen. You have to talk about these words nonstop with confidence, even though it doesn't make sense. So you try a bunch of these different exercises to get you out of the comfort zone so that when you are actually doing something that matters, you can be more fluent and confident. So it's amazing because their cohort is like a game. You come there and you practice and you can repeat how many times you want because it's always going to help you. And I, they do a lot of screen share for their games. And I think it would be really cool if they were doing these games in a more immersive way. But I couldn't get to them yet. I already tried, but they are not convinced yet. And like you said before, there, there are so many ways that maybe you can go about convincing them or maybe getting their attention. I think it might be worthwhile, Felipe, to think about how can I get their attention? How can I show them what you can do? Thank Last you. question that I have, Felipe, is what are you curious about lately? What are you trying to, and it doesn't have to be practical, but... What are some things that you're trying to learn these days or that you're like tinkering with? I'm guilty of having very few hobbies to not say none. <laughs> so I'm very obsessed with programming and inventing new things. So on my free time, my girlfriend will play video games and I will be creating things on inventing things. And one really cool thing that I have discovered recently is that ChatGPT is a great partner for coding. So I've been, for anyone wanting to start coding and learn how to code, and even people who experience it with coding like myself, it's incredible how much more you can produce with it. So that's what I've been doing. I've been playing along with ChatGPT and doing some programming stuff. Is, yep, is it yeah. more of a asking, talking through the chat, right? Can you help yeah, me write the code for XYZ? Exactly. I need a code that will do that. And I usually he will, it will give you a code immediately. And I, you test and you say, it doesn't work. Oh, sorry, you're right. So he's the right one. <laughs> <laughs> and you do that three times and then you get, it gives you the right a process that you have. To oh my God, Felipe. It's been so fun, I think, to connect with you. And I know we've been talking online and through our communities. You're doing something amazing. At the same time, I feel like it's less intuitive. Like only a few people will be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then some people will not even understand what you're trying to do. So 
good luck making better presentations for all of us and hope you can find the right spokespeople for you. Like the people who are actually doing the presentations who hopefully will become evidence of what a good presentation is because we need more of them. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. Okay. Thank you.